You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. And this week, I'm going to be wrapping up our series, You've Heard It Said. This is a phrase that Jesus used many times to point people toward him. He would start the phrase, you've heard it said, and would then continue on saying, but I say to you. He was always pointing to the culture and calling people to live in a different way, calling people into more. We've looked at certain phrases in our culture, like you do you, or you're dead to me, and we've used scripture to see how Jesus would have responded to these cultural phrases. As I was preparing for the final message in this series, I was reminded of the one time that I got detention. It's true, Mom and Dad. (laughs) My parents are here this morning, and now you know, one time. And I will never forget the moment that it happened. I was completely mortified. Now, you all know Jeff's story. We have very different stories. Stark contrast in our high school years, right? Major different stories about getting to detention and getting in trouble. Lots of different stories about getting in trouble. So you want to know what I did? I got, I got caught chewing gum in my English class. I can't believe it. Can you believe it? It was awful. I remember it. I just felt crushed. Chewing gum was against the rules in my class, and I got caught. I got detention, so it was my own fault, and I got what I deserved. So this gives you a picture of this high level of responsibility I have. I do not like breaking the rules. Jeff likes pushing the limits. I love staying within the limits. I love living within them. I never liked getting in trouble. I never wanted to do something that would elicit discipline. And that brings me to the title for the message this morning. You've heard it said, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve, or it might be, you had it coming, serves you right, or you asked for it. These are all examples of the same thing. A more positive would be, you deserved it. You earned it. Right? If you're catching it, it kind of points to this transactional mindset. Spiritual equations that are transactional are more like karma than the kingdom. Karma says if you do bad, you get bad. If you do good, you get good. But the kingdom is all about transformation, not transaction. I personally can think of a lot of parenting examples. Right now, all three of our kids are in an elementary school. We're in the life stage where we get to repeat ourselves over and over to help them learn and to help them grow. And it's also important for their development that they learn consequences. Kids try things just to see what happens. So this is a constant learning curve for them, and there are many times that they do get what they deserve. For instance, if they're not ready for school in time, they're going to be late. It doesn't bother me if they're late, but they don't like missing morning recess, so it does bother them a lot. But if they're late, they're going to be late. Another example, I remember the first time that one of our kids started unrolling the entire roll of toilet paper, (laughs) and the joy on their face was, it was so exciting. (laughs) You can just feel it, the excitement of this new toy that they've discovered. But as much as it was joyful... (laughs) I also didn't want it to keep happening, so I needed to step in and I needed to have a conversation, letting them know that that was fun, but now it was done. 
Thank you, Daniel Tiger, for awesome quotes like that. <laughs> I, I needed to communicate that if it happened again, they would have a timeout because sometimes you do get what you deserve. If you steal something, you deserve a certain discipline. Or as the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. But if you only use that verse and you only stay in the negative, you're going to have a pretty heavy-handed church. And the result of your gathering or discipleship could be filled with guilt or shame. The truth is, sometimes this phrase can be used in the positive. If you save a bunch of money, you'll have plenty for retirement. If you take care of your car, it should last longer. The phrase, you get what you deserve, can be used in a positive or negative way, and that is how it would be used today. Thankfully, we know how Jesus would respond to this modern phrase because he dealt with the same thing 2,000 years ago. Our scripture passage for this morning is this, is in John 8, 1 through 11. Verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. This woman was not just accused of sin. She was actually caught. This was a bad moment for her. The religious leaders said that she deserved to be stoned. But Jesus, in this moment, he paused. He created space, and he rewrote her story. They wanted this transaction. She did this, so she deserves that. But he responded in a new way. Jesus seeks transformation, not transaction. Instead of the phrase, you get what you deserve, Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. You are free and forgiven. It does make sense when looking at our culture how we might have a hard time with this. We've been conditioned toward retribution or payback um, or punish, the, the punishment fits the crime is another way to say it. Those are all ways to say you get what you deserve. But in Christ, we aren't condemned. We are forgiven, set free, we're reestablished and reconciled. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now that Jesus is on the scene, things are changing. You don't get what you deserve. You get something new. 
Before the cross, they dealt with, sin, with extreme sin in extreme ways, but that's only because the cross hadn't happened yet. The sacrifice of Jesus was still to take place, and because Jesus knew he would personally be paying the ultimate price, he handled sin differently. When Jesus showed up, everything changed. Instead of demanding truth and being heavy-handed with accusation and retribution, Jesus led with incredible grace. Now, he didn't say that she was right to live that way. He clearly spoke the truth and called out the sin in her life, but he also forgave her at, the very same, at that very moment. When Jesus responded to the woman, he married grace and truth perfectly. He taught us a new way to live. Now, in order to apply this to our lives today, we need to ask ourselves an important question. How can you be more like Jesus? How can you be more like him to your family, to your friends, and even to those in the church? As parents, Jeff and I like to, we want to be like Jesus. We we want to marry grace and truth when we respond to our kids. And it's, it's not always easy. Parents, you know the days when your kids are just at odds or they're, they're fighting or they just don't stop, right? We've all been there. We've all experienced this moment. And in these moments, it'd be really, really easy to make it about all truth. It would be all about this transaction, right? So you did, you did this, so now you get this. You acted this way, so now you get what you deserve. I remember a time when I took away all the kids' toys from their room, and I regretted it quickly after because then I had their toys pouring out of my room. It was this quick decision. You get what you deserve. This is what we're doing. Not one of my parenting success stories, right? (laughs) On a different day, our kids were acting very similarly, so we, we sat them down and had a serious talk about their behavior. Once we finished our conversation, we all got in the car, and we went, and we got ice cream. They did not get what they deserved. They got something completely better, right? We went and got ice cream. Now, we don't always parent this way, and I'm not telling you to parent like this, but it is an important way. It's important to think about creatively how to demonstrate and discipline like Jesus. This happens in parenting, it also it happens in marriage. We work hard to offer truth and grace in our marriage as well. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to do everything perfectly. But our marriage isn't a place to condemn. It's a place to support and model Jesus, offering grace and truth as best we can. Maybe your marriage is in need of truth right now. Maybe it's in need of grace. But just like parenting, how can you creatively think of ways to love your spouse like Jesus? Now, we have to think about this in parenting. We have to think about it in marriage. And and we have to think about it in the church, too. We desperately want to be a church that looks, acts, feels, and demonstrates Jesus all at the same time. That means grace and truth both. Truth without condemnation and grace that is not cheap. Now, the church has hurt people by zeroing in on truth and forgetting about grace. But we need both if we truly want to be like Jesus. If you went back to the passage and tried to modernize it just a little bit, if we took the woman that was caught in adultery and used 21st century language or even like a real-life example for, for today, it would probably sound something like this. Natalie. This woman got a divorce. She needs to be kicked out of the church. And unfortunately, 
This is a, this is a real example. And it breaks my heart that people have actually been kicked out of churches in these moments. Some of you have personally experienced this before, and hopefully at the Vineyard, you've been welcomed in in a different kind of way. This is a place that you can belong. This is a place for healing because, like Jesus, we won't condemn you. But maybe it's not divorce. Again, if we're going to modernize John 8, who would get dragged before Jesus for judgment? Would it be addicts or drug dealers, the prideful or arrogant? Sometimes in churches, we even drag other Christians before Jesus. Might sound something like this. They're too conservative. They're too progressive. Or they're too charismatic. Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what she's like? I don't want to take communion with someone like that. I don't want to pray or worship or get baptized with someone who's done those kind of things. Now, if you can imagine anybody getting dragged before Jesus. You have to also imagine him bending down and saying those same words. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When we were missionaries, we basically had a house church. And around our table, we had gang members, drug dealers. We had murderers. Uh, victims and perpetrators. This, this was our reality. We still have pictures of our friends up in our office, and, and everyone was invited. And if you would come through our front, front door, you would know that you would have a seat at the table. It's probably a sight to see. We invited, invited the neighbor kid who stole an Amazon package from our front door. I don't know why, as a 12-year-old, he felt the need to steal that Amazon DVD, but it turns out it was the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> so we just hoped he'd fall in love with Aslan and Jesus all at the same time. <laughs> well, we bought, we bought a huge table so that we could fit everyone there, because everyone in our old house and everyone in this room, everyone tuning in online, we're all sitting at the same table. Now, here's the thing. Just because you're invited to the table doesn't mean that the Bible will agree with everything that you do. It doesn't mean that your lifestyle perfectly will align with Scripture, and God might ask you to change some things. But you're still invited, and I am so thankful that we are in a church where everyone is welcome. There's always room to grow, and we all want to become parents, spouses, and church members who balance grace and truth. But in order to do that really well, we also need to balance it within ourselves. So, which brings me to the next question. Where do you need God's grace? We all want to be more like Jesus, holding grace and truth together. But in order to do that, we need to experience more of his grace in our own, in our own lives. What's the sin that, that in your life that you feel like if people from the church knew that you would get condemned for. This hidden sin that you're afraid might get you dragged before the pastoral team, maybe before your boss or coworker, maybe your parent. Now, some of us don't have a hidden sin, but maybe there's a part of your life where you're always asking for forgiveness. And I, and I don't mean just like a little bit, right? I mean, every time you pray, you feel you need to confess and repent all over again. 
I talk to people all the time that are still repenting for something that they did years ago when God has already forgiven them and moved on. If most of your prayer life is just saying sorry for your past, it might be an indicator that that you need more of God's grace than you realize. Maybe you need to personally hear Jesus say the words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If we only got what we deserved. If that phrase was actually true in the Gospels, we wouldn't get forgiveness. We'd get punishment instead. The scriptures say we've all fallen short and we've all missed the mark, but here comes Jesus. Forgiving us again, picking us up again. He's dusting us off again. We don't get what we deserve at all. We get forgiveness time and time and time again. His grace is better than you could ever imagine. Like Jeff said two weeks ago, his forgiveness has no limits. So if you're constantly repenting or hiding sin or always asking for forgiveness for these decade-old sins, What would it feel like to not have to spend any more energy on the past? If you've been living in truth, maybe it's time to experience God's grace. If if it's been all grace, maybe you need to experience his truth. Jackie Hill Perry, a poet, author, and theologian, she says it this way. We are pendulum prone, being either all grace, no truth, or all truth, No grace. Only Jesus was able to do both perfectly. With that, it's only in Christ that the pendulum is kept still. As a pastor, I've noticed that a lot of us are, we're really good with truth. Most of us, if we're honest, are too hard on ourselves. So today, where do you need his grace? Where do you need to finally accept his forgiveness? And what would it like if Christ settled that pendulum inside your heart? This morning we're doing baptisms. This is a part of why we do baptisms. When you go under the water, you leave everything behind. You completely surrender. You come up out of the water washed clean. And it is a picture of the gospel that Jesus Christ doesn't scream, you get what you deserve, you get his new life instead. If you're here this morning and you find that you are at a crossroads, that, that you're in a place where it's time to finally lay down all the ways that you've condemned yourself or held on to the past, maybe baptism is for you this morning. We've asked people to sign up before the service. We have a handful of people that will be getting baptized this morning. But if you decided that this is, this is what you need today and you haven't had time to sign up, we have clothes for you to change into. We have towels. You can get baptized today. There's going to be space later in the service to change and and do all of that. We'll let you know if that's you. When you come to the communion table and you remember all that Jesus has done, this is another opportunity for you to surrender and to recognize that all your sin, all your shame, and all your baggage has already been paid for and forgiven. You just need to come and receive it. You've heard it said, you get what you deserve. But Jesus says, I will not condemn you. You are free and forgiven. No shame, no condemnation. Your slate is completely clean. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 one more time this morning. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. 
And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. As I close this morning, I want to share a story I read a while back about an African tribe. It was all about how this tribe handled criminals, offenses, or sins committed against the other. When someone was caught or they came forward to confess, the entire tribe would stop what they were doing and encircle this person. You can imagine how intense this might feel as the man or woman in the middle. You've made a horrible mistake. Now everyone knows about it, and they're staring at you. They've stopped their day-to-day to address it, but they don't come with accusations. They don't come with judgment, and they don't come with a plan to fix everything. One by one, the community would begin to speak, and they would share all the good things they've come to know about the person in the middle. They call out their identity. They celebrate the person apart from sin. They completely disassociate the the person who they were created to be from the mistakes that they made. Like this tribe, imagine your hidden secret, something that may be filling you with shame or anxiety. Imagine the sin of your life brought right up here to the stage. Speaking that out loud in front of everyone in the room and online, Take a second to imagine that this morning. But imagine that after you've confessed your sin, you brace for impact because you're about to get what you deserve, right? But instead, we all start shouting compliments about you, the ways we see Jesus in you, your Christ-centered identity. Think about the body of Christ coming around you. This is a profound picture of grace and truth. Now, obviously, we can't do that on a Sunday morning. It's too big, and not everyone in the room knows each other that well. But this is why we love small groups. This is why we love lifelong spiritual friendships. We've got people in our church who've been meeting for over 30 years, and that's amazing. They've raised kids together, right? They've become empty nesters together. They've retired together. God moves in powerful ways through community. And our hope is that you find lifelong spiritual friendships that you can see through the ups and the downs of life. You have people that could call out those good things in you. Like that tribe or like our church, it's only in community where you can experience either you get what you deserve or neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I know what kind of church that I want to be, and I know what kind of church that we want to become, right? One that embodies and displays the fullness of the gospel. Let's finish with a quote from Tim Keller. He says this, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This grace and truth. More flawed than we can imagine and more loved than we ever dared hope. Let's pray.